0: Welcome to Funny Women Behind the Scenes, a sequent covered podcast hosted by international showgirl and comedian Ivy Page. We'll be exploring what it's really like to work in the entertainment industry, from live comedy and cabaret to television and film, brought to you by Funny Women, the leading community for female comedy. So let's get on with the show and welcome your host, Ivy Page. Hello and welcome to the
1: real-life work of art, or piece of work, award-deserving, flame-haired, titan of tees. Yes, it's me, Ivy Page. It's time to take a seat on my chaise lounge in my personal burlesque boudoir, as we break the fourth wall, draw back the velvet curtains and reveal what really happens behind-the-scenes. It is my pleasure to welcome into my burlesque boudoir today, comedian, writer, solo performer and from netflix live at the apollo the bbc sellout shows at the edinburgh fringe and of course funny women award winner it's the incredible desiré birch hello hello
2: how are you doing ivy
1: yeah i'm good thank
2: you how are you i'm doing okay yeah i mean rounding out a year of plague i'm doing all right all things considered.
1: So um, uh, let's get straight in there, really. I wanted to talk to you because I um, I know that you're a theatre maker, aren't you? As well yes. as a comedian, you're a theatre maker. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you, how do you make a show? <laughs> uh,
2: I mean, it varies depending on whether it's theatre or whether it's comedy. But also there are just um, some things that remain the same. Uh, I... One, well, on the one hand, I decide that there are certain things that just kind of feel a little... Sticky is the word that I like to use. Like there are things that I'm hung up on that I'm processing. I start Mm -hmm. from myself and project that out because I think that in this sort of time in history, we are on um, a journey of like exploring the possibilities within our worlds. And one of our worlds is the internal one. And I think Mm -hmm. that as we look out into space, we also look inward into our own space. So I use that in order to try to make connections with people. So uh, I start from writing that I do that's literally like, Journal writing, daily. I was going to say, do you do
1: you just write journals? Do you write scripts? What's your point? Well,
2: um, it depends. For something like uh, Tar Baby or Fifty Two Man Pickup, there would definitely be a script for it. For something like uh, Desiree's Coming Early, uh, there wouldn't be. Do you know there'd be notes? Uh, if if anything, I would have gotten that maybe transcribed at some point so I could look back at it and make some cuts because. Uh, sometimes you're writing standing up. Sometimes you're sitting there and writing. And what you write sitting down is not the same thing that, at least for me, that I say when I stand up, because those are two different positions, different points of view, just different modalities of creating. But all of those things work toward a whole. So I just tackle it from various different angles whether it's the like here's the stuff that I've written in a journal that I want to expand upon that I want Mm -hmm. to you know write out into a longer form and then get up and rehearse with a director which is the other thing I was going to say is how I make shows is to find collaborators because you can't do everything on your own I mean you can but you're not going to like what you get you're not going to real realize the thing that you want to make
1: I think that's an interesting point to pick up on because as a stand-up comedian people might see that as like that's a solo venture
2: It is if I'm doing 20-minute sets at a nightclub. It isn't if I'm trying to make an 80-minute show that has, like, a theme and an arc and whatnot. I can't write a thing, perform a thing, and look at it from the outside all at the same time. I mean, I suppose I could. It would just take me four times as long. You know, like, I'd have to record Mm. myself and then look back. And, you know, there's only so many hats I want to be wearing in a creative process. For me, I think maybe the other people are uh, maybe more self-contained in the way that they make work. But for me, I need to know that it's landing for someone else besides me. And you can do preview gigs, but it's going to take a million of them to get to the same place that you can with a dedicated audience member that also has a good eye. I mean, that's a real understatement for what a director does, but that's one of the roles that they serve. Yeah.
1: I think that's an interesting um, process because I also come from a theatre background. Yeah. um, And I got to a certain point in my journey when I realized I can't wear every hat. To elevate the work, I'm going to need other people's skills.
2: Yep. Yep. And I think it's the theater maker in me that decided to do stand up shows that way. I don't think that that's the way that everybody does a stand up show. However, like when you see a stand up show on television, there's definitely a director because that Mm. person can't get up, do a show on stage, and then go and edit it and like have someone (laughs) to go, this is how it's going to look on TV. They can't do that themselves. You know, like if you want to get it to the level you want to get it to, yeah, A live performance does take more than the one person that you might see on a stage, which I think maybe sometimes is surprising or saddening to some people, but I think that those people underestimate what it takes to do what we do. Do you know, like, they, I yeah. think that a lot of people are just like, oh, you're just like naturally so charismatic and it's like, yeah, but telling a story by a water cooler isn't the same thing as like creating a journey for an audience to go on with like a point and a message, Do you know, it's not just yeah, like something arc, I poop out. Yeah, and
1: well, isn't it? The story yeah. arc.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anybody who's got a background in theater knows that human beings like stories with a beginning, a middle, and an end, and, you know, a crisis or catharsis and resolution or whatever, you know? And there's, you know, some of that is understood internally, but like it does take other people. It really does. Like it really, or it really can. Like I feel like I, there, I don't want to share every aspect of story making like if I'm sitting there writing a joke I don't want somebody else to be like oh do this like sometimes it's nice but a lot of times just like I don't want to do that joke that's your joke this is my joke but I do want someone to say here's how the lighting's coming in or here's how it sounds in this theater or I do want to be able to share that process with other people because other people have gifts and skills and things they want to realize too
1: sometimes um but i've certainly found that when people write for you yeah write in the voice that you think you have yeah the material doesn't land
2: no yeah because it's like the voice they hear coming from you isn't the voice that you know like just uh, the same as like the voice that i hear of myself in my head isn't the same voice that you hear coming through your speaker and out of my mouth like we have two different perceptions and like i couldn't start if i started trying to mimic the voice that i think you hear it would sound like somebody else's voice do you You know what I mean? Like Hmm. I kind of have to be responsible for the way that I do it. And then the audience has to be responsible for the way that they receive it. And I can't do that for them because what would be the point of them (laughs) if I did?
1: (laughs) When you look back at your shows, um, do you have any shows in particular that that really stand out to you as kind of like that's a
2: moment in my work? I mean, they're all sort of moments in my work. I'm not going to do the thing of like, I love all my children equally. People say that are lying. Um, But I will, like they love all their children differently, you know, but I, um, the first one that comes to mind is Tar Baby, which is a, it's a solo theater piece. You won awards
1: for that show, didn't you? Yes,
2: I did. That was sort of when I first moved to the UK, that was the show that I brought to The Fringe. And that was, I think around the time that I did Funny Women. I can't remember if that was in the fall or the spring I guess it must have been in the spring um, that I signed up but like you know it was all sort of like at the same time happening and that was a real um like I still look back at that show and just recognize how like rich it was with layers that like even Mm. to this day you know sometimes you write a thing and if you keep a history of your own journals or writing you'll know this that if you look back later you wonder how Prescient you could have been at the time because you mm. understand it in a way like you write a thing that continues to grow and evolve with time that like it's not like you're just some kind of spectacular genius that you're responsible for it's that you were aware enough that when that thing came through you to put it down, to go, this is important.
1: I love that, that that thing, when you, you're channeling that energy of when you're making a show, it's
2: like, it has to come out. And it ha- it has to be documented, it has to be seen, it has to be remembered. I'm going to put it into your ears and hopefully at least one of you will take the seed away and it will grow into something to keep this thing going. It's not like, it's not like, here's this thing I made for you. It's like, here's some genius. I grabbed a bit out of the sky, who <laughs> wants it? You know what I mean? Like I'm not responsible for it, but I will pass it on. You're listening to funny women behind the scenes,
0: all the backstage gossip and more.
1: Yeah. I'm really working on I I don't know anyone about being pretty. So talk to me more about this. So, um, so I was on a a show a few years ago and um, I was quite flirtatious in the interview, uh, uh, which is my natural persona. Yes. Yes. I was picked apart so much by the media and for being flirtatious yeah, on the show. For being flirtatious and still wow. uh, and st- this is still continuing today. And uh yeah literally. Wow. Um now when I look at it I just see empowerment and confidence but it just re- it really highlighted to me that because of the package which is the red hair and the red lips and I had a red dress on Mm -hmm. that what people have been conditioned to believe Mm
2: -hmm. is that there's a dangerous woman yeah and um there's a woman who is in ownership of her sexuality and can use that and so she must necessarily have evil intentions about manipulating all of us with that
1: yeah. And the whole editing of of it was to pitch the other female on uh, the
2: show against me, which was not in any way what happened. Of course. Of course not. But that's that serves a story that everybody knows really well. It's just like an old folk tale or anything else. It's like we know the story of like, here's the good woman and here's the bad woman. Like that's existed for since patriarchy at the very yeah. least, right? So, yep. you know, we definitely... That's That makes people both in the editing booth and uh, watching on the other end of the screen feel comfortable to go, oh, I know what we're doing, as opposed to you being able to create your own narrative as an individual human being, as opposed to them waiting and going, let's see what she brings us, and let's yeah. see if we could do something with two women actually getting along on a show.
1: And also, beauty doesn't have to be a transaction. My beauty doesn't owe any, I don't owe anyone anything. and. Yeah. I also don't need anyone to say, "Oh, you're beautiful," or that. What is that validation by whose standards?
2: Yeah, and also Um, that's not necessarily the uh, what you are seeking. Or or like you probably weren't seeking anything at all in being flirtatious, like a flirtatious thing is just sort of like, hey, people are great. And I have the ability to make people feel good and excited about themselves and remember that they have bodies and that they're alive, you know, by being acting in a certain manner. You know, like I think that flirtation isn't necessarily like, oh, I want to get something out of you. And it's either sex or I want to use sex to get something else. It's an
1: ongoing journey, isn't it, that relationship with your body? Like yeah I, I, from my personal experience, um, I used to be a size 24 mm-hmm. um, and then when I lost what I've got I lost a load of weight mm-hmm. and um, and then producers started telling me <laughs> telling me now they could sell me as a commercial wow. product.
2: yeah. <laughs> and and that's the, the such a like messed up thing as a big woman like, being like, oh, I want to work so hard just so that I can be a commodity. Yeah, because I, then I belong I to the company of women because now I'm a thing that, that I, now I'm a thing. Now I yeah. can be thinged and, uh, you know, people all over, like men, women, whatever, want to thing me. And that's sexy. And now I belong, you know, and then also being like, that's disgusting. And I, I mean, I don't know about you, how long you were fat in your life from the very beginning. Was yeah. From the very before? beginning. You yeah. know, so then to kind of go oh, who the hell am I now? Because I got used to being one thing and and now I, I am this other. And, you know, part of... Being fat is a protection, at least to me. It protected me from a lot of things that would have happened to me otherwise had that not been there and I didn't have defenses of my own, any kind of training of my own of what to do. Usually women don't get that until it's too late, you know? So Mm. even the trauma that I did experience, I know would have been multiplied by 10 had I been born into a normative body. Mm.
1: I completely agree about the fat being a protection because I could when I would comfort eat it would be to protect to make myself feel better yeah. and the when I you know when I lost all that weight I completely felt like a product and actually I went through a period of for about 2 years uh, well, when I look back now, I, I could look at the pictures and I look so unhappy and so sad. In that two year period? In that two year period, I could see it on my face and I looked like a matchstick. I looked so mm. tiny and it's because I I, I felt so insecure because I felt I was completely judged on what I looked like and people stopped looking at my
2: talent or my products mm-hmm. in my shows yep. and they just started looking at it as a thing. yeah. Yeah. And that is a thing that I have not ever fully, I mean, I get thinged in other ways, but I know that there's more thinging that could be done if I were, you know, straight sized, you know, conventionally attractive. Like I know in the body that I have now that people are kind of like, I mean, I don't know. I'm the kind of girl that guys kind of go like, oh yeah, whatever. She's cool. And just talk about whatever. Cause they don't think of me as being female around them, you know? And in some ways I'm just like, great thank you because I don't want to go through that because I watch a woman walk into the room and see how all of you change around her and I'm like can you just let her talk like you know like and so I'm like I don't want to go through what I'm what I can see she's going through right now and I have no way of unconditioning these guys to like stop it (laughs) you know so I'm just (laughs) like thank god it's not me which is messed up but it really is what it is you know
1: and do you think that in I kind of want to relate this to stand-up comedy really but do you think uh, in the standup
2: circuit, women have each other's backs? I mean, it depends. It really does. I think that because it is still a very male-centric, uh, I mean, whatever, anything in sort of capitalism is still male-centric, but particularly in comedy, there's it's still a bastion of, like, male supremacy, um, that there are most women do have each other's backs because we all know how much we're working to try to get ourselves there and to lift each other up because if we don't do it nobody else will Mm -hmm. um but i but there are still women who are you know looking out like whatever everybody's looking out for their own but like there's still women who i think are more oriented to trying to please those in power than they are trying to lift up the people that are struggling alongside them, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's in many ways it is, it is both a blessing and a burden to be part of like, you know, the 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 progressive side of things of like making things change or whatever, because it's also kind of like no male comic has to worry about that. And by rights, you know, you should be able to be a woman and an individualist scumbag, scumbag pig, you know, and that should be your right, because that's what equality can also look like, is that you're just like, I don't care about any of that and blah, 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 blah. And someone should be able to say, you know what, she's really talented and she's a maverick and blah, 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 and not be like she's a she's a tuesday and let's tear her down do you know what i mean just what happens on the female side of things so i don't necessarily always subscribe to everybody has to be part of the movement because i think that you should be but not everybody wants to do that you know and i'm like okay that's fine and that's your right to 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 decide that you can go on your own and to do that but i think a lot of times i have seen women not as much in the uk And maybe that's just because I don't know the scene as well as I knew the scene like back in New York. Um, You know, not as much here as as I did in the States. Mm. Um, I also think that's because the market for comedy in the UK is a little bit more. It's just a little bit broader. Like it's not thousands of people fighting for the same four spots. I
1: was going to say, what's the what's the kind of main differences between the UK and the US circuit? There's
2: a career for a comedian in the UK. Oh, really? Yes. When you're in the US, people are like, you make money from stand up comedy. What? You don't make money from stand up comedy. I mean, unless you're on TV. You know, and yeah, you tour, but like, if you're driving around the entire country, <laughs> you're
1: you know, like, your it's like, on Petro.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, and hotel, <laughs> like, and whatever, and you've got a booker who's booking these gigs, and sometimes they're good, and sometimes they're garbage, and you're doing it behind a grate so that people who throw bottles don't smash your eyeball out. And like, you know, there's, it's a lot more Wild West, whereas here, it is, um, you know, there's just a, more people go out, get drunk, and look at comedy. Yeah, we've
1: got a real gigging culture over here, haven't we? Yes.
2: Yes. And that is the biggest difference. And because of that gigging culture, I think that you have a real sort of TV culture for comics. I think that comedy is something that people who go to Oxbridge do, you know, as well as as well as people who are, you know, from all different walks of life. But like no one in America expects that if you went to Harvard, you're going to do comedy. They're like, you went to Harvard. Why wouldn't you get a real job?
1: uh yeah okay so again it's about the expectations the stories that are put on you before you even have a chance
2: to make your own and people don't have a value for that because they don't realize how much all of those people write for the news that they watch i mean the amount of people who get their news from the daily show from colbert from you know uh seth meyers from whoever right and it's comedians filtering all of that and presenting it to them but because they don't see comedy as a skill or a craft that people develop and work on and get better at and use to communicate all of the stuff they don't think about the fact that most of their media the stuff that they're sitting home watching during the plague is made <laughs> by comedians who apparently shouldn't even get paid to do it because it they're just naturally funny
1: <laughs> naturally funny but they've been spending the last year writing their new show uh
2: yes yeah they just don't they just don't get it they just go like oh your skits you know you're gonna go to play practice and do your skits and you're like this isn't like for sunday school Mm. this is like how like people translate you know like progress and wisdom and politics into a form that you can digest so that society can move forward and look not everybody has that high of an aim when they go and do comedy but a lot of us do
0: This is funny women behind the scenes if you want to know more about us visit www.funnywomen.com
1: so that's interests me this this idea of progression because uh obviously you you won funny women uh stand-up award yeah. so how was that process for you because there's there's heats, aren't there that yes. you go through so were you gigging at the time and then just thought,
2: Oh, I'm going to enter this competition and then see what happens. Yeah. I mean, it was, I, you know, I, before I moved to the UK, I'd come and done uh, Edinburgh, you know, before. So I, I become aware of funny women just because if, you know, because it's funny women, because everybody in this country knows funny women, you know, and particularly if you're a woman. So when I moved, I thought, okay, like I, I mean, to be honest, I was like, like this this is like a major competition and i had come to understand that comedy competitions matter in the uk whereas in the us they do not you know like it was just a different culture for what goes into comedy like for like n- i don't know how many americans can understand the concept of a comedy review for a show it's like well you if they if they're funny like some people are going to find them funny and some aren't there's actual critique on how they crafted their funny like that's not <laughs> even a concept so like things like the competition or reviews and stuff for comedy were not a thing that was part of my background but it was a thing that i come to understand was very important in sort of progressing in the UK as a comedian. And like, when I came here, like I, I, you know, I was like coming for keeps. I was like, look, this is, you know, I've moved for, I moved for a relationship you know, but I wasn't only allowed to work as a comedian because that was the, you know, those were the auspices under which I was able to get a visa through an agent. So the only work that I could do was as a comic. And I was like, look, you know, in New York, I had two and three jobs, you know, underneath doing the comedy thing. So here I was like, all of these eggs have to go into this basket and I have to make it count, you know, because otherwise I'm barefoot at home dependent on a dude, which is a position mm. I've never been in, in my entire life and not one that I find particularly comfortable to remain in. So I was like, I have to work in order to get myself out of this place. That means like I have to work to a level in which comedy can sustain me because Mm -hmm. otherwise I will be dependent on someone else because I can only work here as a comedian. That was probably the biggest motivator to do something like Funny Women and to do the other, I was just like, I have to, this has to work. There aren't other options. And Funny Women is one of the best ways if you are a female identified comic in the UK to make that work because people come, they show up, agents come, you know, it means something to put that on your CV. Like it's, yeah, it was a big deal to me. I understood it may have been, it might not have been, I don't know. But at the time when I came, I was like, this, this is the, the benchmark between yeah. me making it here and not. You know, so I was just like, yeah, I got to do this. But even though I say that in retrospect at the time, I think I've been much benefited doing comedy in this country by the fact that I'm not as aware as everyone else here is of what it means. Mm-hmm. You know, when I did live at the Apollo, I didn't fully understand what it meant as an institution to comedians throughout like the history of the UK doing comedy. Oh, it's huge. Yes. <laughs> but had I known that, it probably would have been even more nerve-wracking than it was at the time. Yeah. So being able to walk in and kind of go like, okay, it's a it's a it's a gig on TV. So that's a big deal. And leave it at that. And not like, it's the gig. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that kind of thing helped me massively. And I think the same would have been true for something like Funny Women. I think that uh, in those eyes, I wasn't able to fully see it from the vantage point that I can now. And that worked to my advantage to not get me so psyched out, you know?
1: So I know a lot of our listeners will be will be wanting to enter the awards this year. And yeah. actually, um, because of uh, the what we've all been through um we've got more global interest than ever so they're actually going to be opening the awards to um to the U.S. Wow that's amazing
2: I didn't realize so
1: yeah so kind of what top top tips could you
2: give our listeners if they're thinking about applying I don't think that you should like overstudy for something like this but I think that one be smart it helps. Like, it really does. People appreciate clever. You know, they appreciate, even if it's like not just like, oh, that was a clever wordplay, but just like people hear what I found which is part of what I already did was like my work, even though it can be quite sort of like, not absurd, but just like, you know, outrageous. I can be so outspoken, larger than life. All of these things that people say about me, even though I'm like, I'm not larger than life. This is what life looks like. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, it's not just the whatever narrow point of view you give to it, but anyway, but like, even though all of those things are what's put on to how my comedy is described, underneath it, I have something that I'm trying to get across that I think is important or insightful or might help somebody else or might just be like a new take on something, which is part of what comedy does or can do so well. is to show you something that you look at every day from such a point of view that you go, oh, wow, that really is outrageous or crazy or makes me wonder about what kind of beings would set up society in such a way. Why? Right. So like. If you have something smart to say, British audiences and judges appreciate that. They like it when you said something smart in a, a, like, fun way, right? That's pretty much mm-hmm. it. They're like, oh, we got—it's like, we got schooled, but, like, in a fun, inclusive way, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, so, I mean, and that's not to say that there isn't plenty of— but I think even the absurd comedy here is funny because, like— Absurdism is about like the contradictory nature yeah, of truth. And surrealism. Yes, exactly. Kind of- so I feel like, like, Just make sure, like, don't be too lackadaisical about it. And like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to come out here and be chill and cool. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of the style of comedy that I see a little bit more in the U.S. but exists everywhere, where everyone's sitting up there on stage, like, hands crossed, like, I'm cool. Like, I don't care what you think of me or not. Like, I don't understand that, because why would you do it if you didn't care? (laughs) Yeah, if you didn't care get the hell off the stage. There's plenty of people who do care. Like if you're up here, it's because you need to be, let's be honest. Comedians are compulsive people who need to go out there and get acceptance, validation, you, whatever from other people And in exchange for that gift to our souls. We give them our insights, our personal lives, our perspectives, our, you know, little sparks of genius. And there is, there is a give and take going on there, but like, do bring your A game. It will be appreciated here in a way that it maybe isn't always appreciated to some of the audiences that you may perform to, depending on what part of the States that you're in. I think if you're, if you're a comic in New York, you're used to doing that. And to be honest, if you're a comic in LA, you probably aren't as much. There are some good comics in LA, but there's a lot of people who just rock up there who are like, this is cool. Like whatever. And then people are nice and like, yeah, it is cool. Huh? It's not. You know, like it's not like have something to say, bring your a game. If you're not telling me something new, go away <laughs> or something old from a new point of view. I don't care. But like, if you told me some stuff I've heard ten to million times before, why are you here wasting my time?
1: Exactly. Bring your a game <laughs> to the awards people. Yeah. Bert has told you.
2: Yeah, do it. Like, I don't know. When I was up there, I was like, oh, I need to win this. You know, I didn't know if I was going to, but I knew that I decided that I absolutely needed to. and you did and you did because I was just like yes and it changed my life for the better you know and it changed the course of my career for sure being in the UK and so that was like a goal well met both in in you know chronology and time and also in preparation you know yeah and so I'm glad that it worked out that way and I do believe it's the kind of Um, you know, the the kind of uh, surroundings in which it will work out for you too, dear listener, if it is your time to come forward and shine, then you will get your chance to be in the spotlight and do just that. And even if you, you know, everybody else who did those awards, you know, I am just like, like I did that the same year Sarah Keyworth did it, you know, she was amazing. She was the runner up. She definitely got representation. She's got a fine career out of it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I think about all oh, so many different women, whether or not they win it, come in second, whatever it is, you know, if you're good, someone's looking at you for sure.
1: Well, I think that is the best place we can end it there because yeah. you bought your A game. Ah, thank uh, you.
2: I tried. You I've been working there, on that. You see I
1: did there? <laughs> um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, honestly. Oh. So inspiring. Um, can you tell our listeners where they can go
2: and find you? Sure thing. I am at Des The Ray, uh, D-E-S-T-H-E-R-A-Y on Twitter and Instagram. uh, Or you can go to Desiree Birch Comedy on Facebook and see my fan page there. Uh, Otherwise, I don't know. You can find me on probably on your TV if you're in the UK (laughs) at some point. I'll be there. Um, Or you can find me on on Too Hot to Handle on Netflix. Uh, At least you can hear my voice and then see me on the reunion episode there if you haven't watched it already and more to come.
1: If you haven't watched it already, shame on you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you missed it, but I guess you probably don't go in for reality TV, but this is slightly different to your regular reality TV show. So check it out.
1: Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. You are a, a funny women legend. Oh, so, uh, thank it's you so, so much. so great to Irene. talk to you.
2: It's and uh, an and honor I'll... and a thrill. Thank you. Hey,
1: Thank you. It's time to entice her out of the gin cupboard. Um, And let's welcome Lynn Parker.
3: Hello, Lynn. Hello. That was an incredible one, wasn't it?
1: What a great interview. So inspiring. Let's just jump straight in. One of the things that um, I want to talk about is the difference between the comedy gigging circuit in the UK and the US. And actually, one of the uh, things that occurred to me is how perhaps we might take for granted that we've got such a strong um, gigging culture for comedians to be able to have a career in the UK compared to what Desiree said which is in the US that just doesn't exist at all.
3: Well what seemed apparent from what Desiree was saying is that Americans view comedy as a bit of a kind of side hustle a bit of a hobby Mm -hmm. Um, but if you think about America it's so vast and as she said you know you've got to travel miles to gig so you can only maybe gig in your own particular area whereas the uk is is built on a it, on small cities that have entertainment areas but you can easily travel tour place to place if you you know jobbing comedians now can go to any number of big cities and earn a living you know performing and you know in london in, in normal times, you can, you know, as a jobbing comedian, you can do half a dozen gigs on a night because all of the venues are quite close together. You know that.
1: Well, you know, I was just going to say, um, so obviously I've, I've toured for many years and uh, up and down the country. And one of the things that always makes me laugh
3: is we'll go to a service station and my phone will connect to the Wi-Fi yes tour life I call that tour life. I mean we I remember years ago on a trip back from Edinburgh Fringe or somewhere we there were half a a dozen of us piled into my car and we we came up with an idea for a a sort of sitcom about touring comedians and they were all female of course because it is so much part of our DNA that that travel from place to place and I think that's the thing that's going to change and maybe that's the thing, the evolution for us as Brits is that we're going to have to reframe how we perform because maybe the gigging culture won't be there in the same way post pandemic. And, we, you know, if you look at what we're all doing online, all of us and how we've had to change and adapt, even the Funny Women Awards has changed and adapted. So we are moving forward to a much more online process but then the upside of that is that we can attract women from all over the world. Well, as I say, part. then that,
1: that gives us a global um, audience. Yeah, and, well, It's not even an audience, is it? It's a global community
3: yeah. of women. Yeah. yeah, and that perspective. And, you know, we recently ran um, an online event for for 12 hours where funny women around the world. And what I felt so strongly about the sisterhood were the were the differences in culture? So the Americans and the Australians, uh, Desiree referred to it as the, as a, a wild west culture, and I really that really answers it for me because those women have have swagger they have you know because they've got to work a bit harder at it I don't know what it is but they just have a different attitude they're much more ballsy they're much more outspoken and maybe in the big expanses of America or Australia that's you've got you've got to be like you've got to be bigger you've got to be louder and just look how much the Brits love American and Australian comedy Hmm. So maybe we maybe we all up our game, Ivy. Maybe that's it. Maybe well, that's we're on a, really we're on yeah. a global we're, now. We're on a global stage, aren't we? Yeah. And I want to see those women. That's what I want to see this year. I want to see those brilliant. I want to see more Desrays taking. So are, are those shape. women
1: going to be able to um apply for the Funny Women Awards this year? Yes,
3: uh, the awards have always been open. We know that's how we've ended up with people like Catherine Ryan and entering the competition and winning because they, well, at the time, um, they weren't British residents, I don't think. So, yeah, we've never been uh, closed to that. But I think now we have a bigger opportunity than ever. I don't want to take jobs away from the from the British women at all. And I don't think we see it that way. I think we see it as a big, one big global sisterhood where we can all work and improve together. And, you know, I think we need to get back to where where stand-up in particular and and remember we've got the writing award and the comedy short film award so there's lots of opportunities even if you're not a performer to get involved and I like I do like the the sort of globalization of comedy I'm sure there'll be somebody that disagrees with me but I actually really love the universality of it Mm -hmm. and having seen some comedy um from literally right around the world on our own event, um, it's really opened my eyes. Things that I thought would be much more, um, sedate or, uh, censored just aren't, (laughs) you know, women use, women use stand up and comedy to fight causes, uh, make a statement about themselves, celebrate their bodies as you Mm. do with burlesque Um, it it is an extraordinarily diverse and amazing world to be a part of
1: all they need to do like Desiree said is bring their a game Uh,
3: yeah gold standard as our uh, wonderful operations director would say gold standard
1: well on that note Lynn I know you've got to get ready for the funny women award so I'm going to send you back to the gin cupboard to go and do some work Um, as always absolute pleasure and um I will speak to you next time
0: you've been listening to funny women behind the scenes with ivy page if you like us please subscribe review and share